0: Welcome to SENT 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Matthew, Matthew, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, great, great.
0: I got up this morning very early, but I ended up at the pool at 5 a.m. in the dark with my good friend, Tom, who's my training partner, and my daughter, Tiffany McHugh. Oh, How's she doing? She's doing good. People are clamoring to hire her. Oh, and I'm sure. It's been a process. I know some of the listeners know about the preschool debacle and all of that. But, yeah, she's doing good. And when she's in the pool, she's a fish. She's a real swimmer. And so being able to swim several thousand yards or meters with my daughter is a good thing. That's how good I'm doing today. That's wonderful. Hey, you were telling me a story this morning Do you want to share that with people? Yeah, I do. It's a true confession, so I'll just be transparent on it. It's a really good story that encouraged me and changed my attitude a little bit, which needs to happen from time to time. So my buddy Tom, who I said was in the pool with us this morning too and is probably very tired, I run with him. And he told me a story on the trail that touched my heart and changed my mind. So he's got a buddy, I'll make up a name, Sebastian. Sebastian. And he works with Tom, and uh, he was going to, Tom's a painter, commercial for Tom Guerra, you need any painting, uh, he's a good one. So Sebastian's going, it's a a couple of weeks ago, he's going to go back to Georgia to take a welding job. Okay. So Tom being one of the most generous men I've ever met on the face of the earth, gives him a couple hundred bucks as a parting gift. Like, hey, this will give you some food and stuff for travel and everything. And that's just the way he is. So when he gives it to him, Sebastian says, hey, thank you so much for this, man, because I got a ticket last night. He's living in a hostel, and he parked in the wrong place, and it was overnight or something, and a $94 ticket. He goes, dude, that'll help with that ticket. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Well, that day, he goes to a really big festival in Balboa Park, which is a part of San Diego, where they have big festivals from time to time. And when he's there, he hears a street preacher Oh. And I wasn't there, so I don't know what style. And quite frankly, I've heard some styles of street preaching that I am not the fan Pretty of. Pretty aggressive. And to tell you the truth, hateful. Right, And right. I'm not for that. Yeah. So our friend, Sebastian, who I've never met, is interested. It's a curious scene. He's never seen this before. And so he listens. And the street preacher gives him the gospel. And so Sebastian goes, oh my gosh, Tom, I get it. I finally get it. It delightful went off in my head. He said, just like I made a mistake and I was guilty of parking in that place and I owed a debt. Oh, and you Jesus. paid it, Tom. You paid that debt. And that's what this pastor was saying. He goes, just like Jesus did for me, oh, I man. have fallen short and I have sinned and I've made mistakes. And Jesus paid the debt that I owe. Bing! Oh my I get goodness. it. So a guy who has never even read a Bible once gets a Bible from this street preacher and has read it every day since then. Wow. So that is like, okay, street preachers, do it with love. You're yeah, sent. And yeah. if that's your style, you know what? Uh, God bless you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what works?
0: Okay, the guy we're having on today, mm. we're going to interview him, but I don't know. He's probably done a little street preaching himself. Oh, really? When I met Tobias Haglin. He was either in a duck suit or a chicken suit. That was very early in our relationship, and I didn't know Uh, if I was ready for it. Okay. (laughs) I'll explain that now. Good morning, Tobias. Good morning. Good morning. So, Tobias is, I know him as a youth worker, evangelist, Mm -hmm. and so he does those things we do with youth that some of us will not do. (laughs) Is that true, Tobias?
1: Oh, very valid. Yeah, 100%.
0: But then, the, not, that's not the only reason that I wanted to talk with you. One of the reasons is we hadn't talked in so long. So finally, yeah. you touch base, and I love and respect you, and you are a secret weapon in the kingdom of God. That's oh, the truth. That. But I also, I was able to get past the duck and chicken suits <laughs> and see... Past the feathers. Yes. <laughs> How funny. Oh, it's so foul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're, we're swirling, we're swirling. Help, help us, show Hello. us. Throw us a life preserver, Jesus. <laughs> but then I saw the way that he worked in the community with community leaders and how they saw the same thing in him that I did. Here's a man of integrity that does good work, who does what he says he's going to do. And it was a beautiful blending. You know, it was in the Chamber of Commerce, right? Mm -hmm. That was one of them at Mm -hmm. least. And sometimes community leaders see nonprofits as some pseudo beggars for their money Mm -hmm. and their attention and their resources and everything. But boy... Christians, when you roll up your sleeves and you work well together with other people, they get to know you and they know your heart and your competency and, and what your agenda is, like the like the speed of trust by Stephen Covey. And when they see you're the real thing and you bring value, then they're all over it. They want to accomplish mutual purposes, right, Tobias?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think one of those unique roles that nonprofit directors can play in a community is Experts on the needs that are in the community mm-hmm. that aren't met by the typical sources. And so a lot of it is just, like you said, developing trust and integrity. Yeah. Because with nonprofits and causes, like people can. Bottle rocket, get excited about something. And I think we have that really often. At San Diego, there's thousands of nonprofits. Yep. And so people who have the resources to help are hit all the time, all the time, all the time. And so I think I learned a little bit ago that you got to get an expert on your subject. you got to get expert on your community and expert on the people who can resource and be a part of that. So you become... centerfold, you become something in the middle that allows people to connect to that. And once people trust that you can be that person to connect their opportunity to help to the people that really need it, it's fluid. Your job is really to get out of the way at that point. Yeah,
0: truth, man. And you know, uh, the same way with me when I entered back into being real active in the Chamber of Mm -hmm. Commerce and everything, we offered a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. So we were there, what can we do to help and Mm -hmm. serve and lead and what do you need? And when they saw for sure after a little while, that I didn't have ulterior motives, uh, you're the real thing, and they know who you are, then boom, you've got people on your board from the community and all that, young life.
1: Yeah. well, no joke. I mean, the reason that I got engaged at the chamber, because I look at it as a nonprofit, it's chamber of commerce. I'm not selling anything. Yep. You know what I mean? There's no product, so there's no reputation for that. And so when I joined, it was because people said, well, look at what Kevin's doing. Look at what he's accomplishing there, which is a huge compliment, I think, to your influence and the time that you spent there, because people would say, this was different before Kevin got here, because that's yeah. uncommon. It's it's uncommon in the secular world. It's uncommon in the church world. Everything is a competition. But to come in and be a friend and to be somebody that offers things, offers more than you ask, it can seem almost like, well, are you doing all that so you can ask for stuff later? No, you're trying to create an environment where everyone helps each other and you want to be one of those glue pieces that does that. Naturally, God's goodness and kingdom opportunity flows through you as a conduit. And so, I'm there because you went and created that Vibe at the chamber.
0: Yeah, that that was an incredible season, and it continues on. So many great relationships. But I still get a chance to sit with them and pray with them and cry with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's proximity. Mm-hmm. It's like Bill Heibel's talks about contagious Christianity. Part of it is you've got to get in close proximity. So, life, on uh, life. Yeah, it, you know it's yeah. it's it's so 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 important, and it continues on. So I that's one thing that you do really well. And it has to do with relationships. So that's a theme through this whole thing, I think, Mm -hmm. with you. Because you played well, you showed who you were, and you have just rose in leadership. I mean, they made you the chairman of the board. And that's after they saw you in a chicken suit, I think. Maybe Mm -hmm. not before. And that whole chicken suit thing, I want to make this clear. He doesn't drive around all the time in it. Uh, He would, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's no problem
1: doing that. (laughs)
0: Exactly. (laughs) But the enthusiasm and the fun and the banter livened up an organization that isn't always that way. Mm -hmm. And when you combine that kind of fun and just be yourself, whoever you are, if you're not Tobias... If you're just vulnerable and transparent like that and just be who you are, and then you're competent, oh my gosh, what a secret weapon.
1: Hmm. I appreciate that. I have had an absolute blast. It has grown and stretched me in ways that have been really meaningful. And I appreciate how you helped me connect with that because it's just been fantastic for just my personal life and my ministry life. It's been great.
0: Well, it's real fun to play with you and accomplish important stuff. they won't ever go
1: away unless they kick you out of East County.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let me talk to you a little bit about what you spend your waking hours doing, mm-hmm. though, because I think most people that are listening know about young life, but some people don't. So can you explain that and what makes your approach to reaching out to... Are those Gen Zers? Right now. You've been doing it a long time, so who knows what they'll be next in your next decade.
1: Yeah, AA, AB, I see, however they, yeah, I don't uh, know how yeah, they yeah. plan on re- resetting that.
0: <laughs> exactly. Youth is really important to us, mm-hmm. and I Gen Zers... My impression is they are hungry and they are ready to hear truth. And so just explain Young Life and how that all works.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll start with uh, Young Life. The mission of Young Life is introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ and helping them grow in their faith. So inherent in that mission statement is introducing adolescents to Jesus Christ. So our focus is always going to be kids who have not had the opportunity to hear the gospel. That's usually students who don't have meaningful relationships with Christian adults who are not paid to be in their life. So what we work to do is recruit and train adults that are going to disciple, usually starts with mentoring, usually starts with volunteering in the lives of teenagers. So they're on campus, they coach, they teach. Some of them are just around and a part of the organization. What's great about what we do is a lot of adults would go, especially if you don't have relationships with high school students, but you care about that generation, you want to do something, you wouldn't know where to start. We're where to start. So people come to us, we train them, we place them, we give them opportunity, we give them access so that they can actually start doing that thing they're passionate about. So we make that transition from passion to no way of knowing how to do this practically. We bring those two things together and make it really seamless and easy. And then we walk with them through that process by cultivating that team, caring for them. 99% of the people in Young Life are going to be volunteers. We're very low staff. We don't own or operate any properties. We don't have any pay for programs. It's all free. Everything is going to be based on, like you said, relationships. So everything we do is to kind of scaffold a process where. Adults can just jump in and start doing that. So that's essentially what Young Life is. There's okay. there's more details to it, but that's the core of it. Okay, cool. And in the
0: show notes, we're going to be putting how people connect with you if they go, hey, I want to get involved with that or hey, we don't have one here. What do we do mm-hmm. about that? So we'll connect people Great. with you for sure. And obviously it's close to our heart. We're in this wonderful sound studio in Youth Venture. Mm-hmm. So it's all about that and we're all about one-on-one mentoring and Absolutely. all that. So we're kindred spirits. Absolutely. Give us an... Uh, The listeners, an understanding of, okay, so how do you begin that relationship? And some of this transfers. It doesn't even have to be young life. It transfers to how do I interact Mm -hmm. with this age group and all of that. How does that process take place, especially for somebody who's afraid of children?
1: Like most of us, right? Um, I would say I'm not any less afraid of children. I would just say I'm informed. And I think information is, in a lot of ways, it's power for confidence. If you know and understand kids' situations and you understand who they are, what they think and the way they're thinking, that takes away the fear. That takes away the anxiety and you can step in. And so that's really the how of what we do is education and training is just really helping people understand. Like you mentioned Gen Z, they're very different from the previous generation, as is the generation before them. And it changes. So we try to stay up to date and connected on who are these kids, what are their values, what are the big questions they are asking. So, instead of just stepping in, because a lot of these kids, we connect with them because they won't go to church, even if they were invited. Like It's just for them on their end of things, they're not interested, they won't engage it. And so, uh, we try to come in as a faithful adult through another venue, like again, finding them in another way. And so, we have this phrase, win the right to be heard, which is a lot of what you guys do with Youth Venture, it's the same exact mm-hmm. mentality. You give them a safe space, you care for them, you show up for them, you resource them, you love them no matter what, and they start to trust. And so yeah. then they give you an opportunity to be able to speak truth when it's when you know it's going to be received in a way that you want it to be yep. received. And so we do the same thing. We just do it outside at the schools and, and homes and in the community. Really like I said, it's you said it's kindred spirits. It's it really is kindred spirits. It's right. very similar to the same thing. So we're going to try really hard to make sure to educate adults so they can do that with efficiency.
0: So let's say somebody isn't ready to sign up to be a volunteer at Young Life. Give them some education right now. What is unique about Gen Z.
1: What I So I actually heard this phrase about two weeks ago from a director of a program down in Mexico. I was down there for three weeks doing Young Life camps. And he said this way, because he is a uh, baby boomer. He was talking to some Gen Z or campers that we had there. And some of them like identifying with Gen Z. Some of them hate it. But he said, here's the deal of what I found out. Y'all just don't trust us. And I feel like that's ultimately what I think is one of the biggest gaps between older generations and Gen Z. Gen Z just doesn't trust the older generations. They don't trust them to be honest. They don't trust them to care about them. They don't trust them to tell them the truth. There's this huge lack of trust. And so that's the biggest hurdle that we're trying to cover is how do we build trust with these kids? Like when they speak, do we just immediately tell them they're wrong? Do we disregard them? Do- uh, <laughs> If like, they're
0: our own children, yeah. They're, they're our own children. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. But they assume that they're disliked by the older generation. Wow. They assume that um, we don't value them or we don't value their opinion. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of their behavior, their reactions, the way that they engage the culture, it's it feels like either a fight or a flight. And so our biggest thing is developing trust with them where we help them understand you don't have to fight us on this and you don't have to run. And so sometimes that's backing down from the elevating parts of things. Kids are passionate about certain subjects and we want to elevate because we want them to know the truth. But sometimes it's just listening and Gen Z doesn't feel listened to, which is why they're so vocal all the time. They don't feel that we want to listen.
0: We had a couple of my friends, Corey and Jeremy, on here who have a podcast called Cultivate and Keep, and they're millennials, and in that age group, their show is great, and they talk about their lives and how to be... Christian men, Mm -hmm. young Christian men. And in that episode, they talked about many of the same things, distrust and disrespect, especially with millennials. And it sounds like the same principle that you used with working in the commerce and all of that. It's talk about building trust. Can we work together? Do I have an agenda? And do I respect you? You know, kind of thing. So that principle weaves in there. I want to take a big jump back. How did you come to the Lord? How did that all happen? Did you have somebody like a young life director? Tell us your story.
1: Yeah, it's actually so funny too, because it's like as different as the generations are, like there's always a through line. I think trust is the biggest thing. So when I was in high school, there was a history teacher at my high school named Rusty Bailey, and he led a young life club there at Riverside Poly High School, where I went to high school. And he pursued me for most of my junior year. I was one of those kids that like would not go to a church if I was invited. I didn't want to go to the Christian club. I didn't want someone to pray for me. All of that felt weird and odd, and I didn't want to be a part of it. And I would be very pushed back on it. And so Rusty took an interest in me personally. He came and supported me at some of my events. He had already had some of my friends that were on the swim team going and being a part of Young Life. And they had invited me and he invited me and I was like, I want nothing to do with it. But they all came and just loved on me and so they earned trust because I realized they're going to love on me whether I go or not. Still did not want to engage though because I was scared. Again it was like I was terrified of being a part of something that I feel like I might lose control or I might lose who I am struggling with life stuff all over the place, too much of a longer story to get into. but. One day, two of my friends that were on the swim team, they tricked me into going to a Monday night Young Life Club. They asked me if I want to go to a house party, which that's the kind of stuff I was doing. So, yeah, I want to go. 7 o'clock on a Monday night. What an idiot, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's Uh, diabolical. Yeah. But Young Life Clubs, most of the clubs we do, we do at someone's house. When you walk up the driveway at a Young Life Club, it looks like a house party. A lot of it does. And so, I was fooled. I went in and I didn't realize it was Young Life until Rusty came out at the end of the night to tell us this story about Jesus. That's when I realized, oh… I'm sorry. That is so cool. It's <laughs> so funny? cool. Yeah, I know. I it's a that. longer story that I don't have time to tell, but maybe on another place or another time, or if you or anyone else wants to hear it, grab coffee with me. I'd love to tell it. But that's when I found it. I almost got up and left, but my buddies grabbed me by the shoulders and they sat me down. They said, shut up, just listen for 10 minutes and then we'll go. And he told the story about the leading woman who went and found Jesus in a crowd and how she had spent, I think it's 12 years trying to solve this problem. And never got it solved. And she had tried everything possible and none of it worked. And so, she decided that she was going to go find Jesus in a crowd, not see him face-to-face, not talk to him. It just said that she thought, if it's true, I could just touch his cloak the tip of his cloak, yeah. and then something would change, and her whole body was healed because she reached out and touched his cloak. I had heard some of this story before. My dad was a believer, my mom's a believer, but there was a long period of time where I didn't really engage much stuff. I would not have called myself much of a Christian prior to really meeting the Lord at the end of high school. So, the story that Rusty told in at the end, he said, I want you to know, like, you don't have to be all in on Jesus for Jesus to be all in on you. Many of you are in a place where you're really only willing to look at Jesus in secret, covered up in a crowd where no one can catch you, and you're really only willing to touch a small piece of it. And mm-hmm. I promise you, that right there could transform your life. You do not have to do all <laughs> this Damn, stuff. Was that was exactly so what I needed good. to hear. Oh, it was rusty. just like- Rusty I, in
0: the Holy Spirit. There oh, you he go. killed
1: it, man. Yeah, the Spirit was all over him that night. And so, I decided, okay, I'll come back. I had not heard Jesus talked about in that way before because I would not been willing to go to church. I would have heard that had I gone to church. It's not like there weren't churches preaching that all up and down. It's why the church is this massive movement across the world, is because the truth is there, and that's where you can find it, but I was not willing to go. Young Life became that model that allowed me to hear that story in context, and I still was resistant to it. So, that's why my heart, that's why I do Young Life. That's why my heart breaks, because there are kids that are still like that, that are like me, that if somebody doesn't do whatever thing they can do to get them in front of Jesus, like the friends that brought their layman on a mat, broke open a roof and dropped him down, if there aren't people that are willing to do that, they're never gonna hear it. And so, that compels me and motivates me to, your phrase is get off the couch, right? That's what gets me up. That's how. What's what happened to me. It's how I got here and that's what gets me moving
0: yeah especially when you know that it works because it works on you right and then you get your feet wet and you continue that process and everything
1: i'm a natural skeptic so i go for hard questions the deeper ones all the time and so it's been a great place even professionally to be able to continue to do that yeah
0: now i read your most recent newsletter and it was Mm -hmm. talking about camp and the things that happen at camp Mm -hmm. can you give us a you know, a God story, a snapshot of what you've actually seen happen in your life with a kid, and the kinds of things you're doing right now. Can you kind of pick Ben out of there and go, hey, this was his situation and this is what's going on?
1: Yeah, we have unbelievable amount of testimonies going on at camp. But the one string of, it's like a string testimony that I think really shows who we are and what we do is I started doing outreach at Grossmont High School where I met this young freshman kid named Michael Espinelli, who he's great, he won't mind me saying this. Just a the, I think the word I would use, because it's not a bad word, but he was a turd. Look it up. Look it up, it's fine. (laughs) But no, just like he was really hard to deal with at times because he's so smart. Hmm. He's so smart and he doesn't take crap from nobody. And I've said this to him more times than I probably should have. I don't want it to work on his ego too much, but most rooms he steps into, he has the highest IQ in that room. He's just incredibly intelligent. And I remember thinking, I've got to get smarter if I want to reach this kid. Over the years, he came to Young Life a little bit. He came to camp once and he engaged a little bit in high school, but it wasn't really until he graduated and he started asking the bigger questions of who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Where am I going? But I had been present in his life, consistent, willing to take the shots, willing to take the hard questions, willing to say, I don't know, and willing to sit with him. And so we started just hanging out and spending more time together. And he was like, man, I so appreciate how you were willing to sit with me. I feel like I burnt everyone else out. And so he's like, I want to do that for other kids. And so I said, I was skeptical. So I'm not sure. And so I said, all right, I'd love for you to do Young Life with middle school kids. Because if anything's gonna burn you out of youth ministry, <laughs> you know, middle school kids.
0: because Terrifying. the only
1: thing you're there to do with middle school kids is love them. Yeah. Developmentally, they can't handle all of the, the gospel proclamation stuff that you wanna give them that you think is gonna change them, right? It's like their brain's not there yet. You just gotta love them. You gotta lay the groundwork of acceptance and trust. And he went in and he rocked it. I mean, he did an amazing job. We just, three days ago, we hired him on with us full time to go out and do outreach. And he just took three three middle school kids to camp from that middle school he got placed at four years ago to go to camp. And two of them decided to follow Jesus for the first time just this last month when he took them. And it's because he did the exact same thing that I did with him with these kids. Like you said, when it's been done for you, it's so yeah. easy to give away and do with other people. And so we really believe in that model in young life. Like it's what the church continues to try to do, which is why church buildings long outlast the pastors and the people that are there, right? So they create a rhythm of discipleship. You know, the things that have been taught to you right. teach to others. It's super basic. It's just reading the scriptures and doing what it says.
0: Absolutely true. A prime example for me is my good friend Shane Blayfield. Shane was my youth venture kid in Lakeside mm. and he was like a lot of Kids were going through some hard stuff and trying to figure some stuff out. And now not only is he a songwriter and a magnificent uh, worship leader, but he's running Lakeside Youth Venture. Mm -hmm. And so when I always feel this way, like when the Lord takes you through learning experiences, most of the time, hard experiences, then you have a responsibility to help the next person through because you know your flavor of what their experience is. Whether it's cancer, whether it's divorce, whatever it is that the Lord used to teach you, you have a responsibility as part of his gift to us to be the next one through the pipeline. Yeah, amen. Okay, so in general, I want to know, we have some people that are just fired up evangelists that listen to this, but we also have some people who just want to. Mm -hmm. They want to take the step. We had Linda Hoffman on recently, and she said, I didn't love sinners. All these other people loved them. I don't not love them. And so she went after that with the Lord. She wrestled for that with the Lord, to have compassion for the lost. Let's say somebody is on that couch. you have any suggestions about what do you do to get engaged and ignited and take that first step or that second step?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing for me, I've been on a, I've been on a really powerful journey with prayer the past five, six years. I've spent nine a.m. to ten a.m. every Monday at the same place, just walking and praying with the Lord, which has just been an amazing discipline for me to develop. Everything good in my ministry and in my life has started at nine a.m. on a Monday, uh, and so the first thing I would just say is pray, pray. Ask the Lord to be clear. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Talk to God about what's going on in your life and what you're asking as much as you can. Even if it's just for little snippets, a lot of people think five-second prayers don't matter. They do. Imagine if you were a parent and you hadn't talked to your kid in a year and they were willing to talk to you for five seconds. Wouldn't you leave work? Wouldn't you drop everything to talk to them, to like receive that? And so I think sometimes we don't understand the joy that the Father gets in just hearing us speak to Him. That will get you off your couch and on your knees. And I think that's the first step. Yeah. Number number one. I know it's more theoretical, but like I know you can sit and pray. I don't I hope nobody hears me that you can't sit and pray. You can. I do it when I'm driving it all the time. But in your heart and in your mind it moves you from a sitting position to a different posture. And I think if you're on the couch, that phrase that you like to use, change your posture. That's mm. the first thing that I would do. Even if you gotta get up and walk around, you're not really ready to pray, you don't know how to pray just change your posture. It's usually a heart posture that needs to change. Secondly, what I would do is I would just go talk to somebody that you think's doing it. Because mm. I guarantee you have so much more in common with that person than you think. We look at people that are killing it in areas we wish we could do it. And we think that they're miles down the road from us. We think they're so yep. different, so uniquely qualified. I hear that all the time in young life It's like, "Oh, it takes a really special person." I go, <laughs> nope it doesn't it takes incredibly broken messed up people that understand how important it is for Jesus to guide their steps that's what it takes so if anything it's just humility Glory. Yeah. and so a lot of us just need to be more willing to engage humility we live in a shame culture whether we want to admit it or not we make a lot of decisions out of fear of what it might look like or what people might think and that is not something that's going to change overnight you got to do little things to be empowered And it's just so funny. It's a work of the enemy, right? It's to continue to try to create this picture of ourselves that is so not true, that is so false, that is so off. When we get in conversation with other people who have walked that road, they can help enlighten us to the truth and the reality of that. So those would be the two things I would do first. I think
0: those are powerful, and what it says to me is that we're going to be as effective and see things happen as we are dependent upon Him. Mm -hmm. When we pray, we're saying, hey, you're God, I'm not, Mm -hmm. and so let's go, work work with me here, Mm -hmm. help me. I've had discussions recently with a couple of different types of people. One of them's brilliant. One of them is uh, just crazy gifted and gets stuff and way beyond me, for sure. When you're making these big decisions in your life about where you're gonna go and what you're gonna do, then you saturate that in prayer Mm -hmm. because you're not enough. Mm -hmm. You will run out and you won't accomplish. The Lord told us we are His workmanship. We're created for good works in Christ, which He has prepared beforehand. So the deal is He knows you so well. He knows how smart you are. He knows how smart you're not. So if you just listen to him, he's going to say, over here, this is your calling, your fulfillment. This is where you're really going to hit it out of the park, because I know how I made you, and I know what I set up for you. Mm-hmm. So, come do that.
1: Lord. Yeah. Yeah. When you, know, you look at Scripture, too, it's really funny. Every meaningful movement of the Spirit in the kingdom, look at what is happening. We'll look at the dialogue between who's being challenged, who's being convicted, who's being sent, and it is saturated with conversation with God. And I think when you look at the gospels, sometimes we get confused because we don't see as much there. We see between Jesus and God. And then you see the disciples and it's like, well, they're not praying as much. And it's like, well, they're talking to God. <laughs> 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 Move Fast forward just a little bit, get into Acts and you start to see this pick up again. And then when you watch past Acts into the letters and all this other stuff, we see Paul talking with these young guys trying to figure this out. What are they trying to figure out? How to reach the lost. That's what all these letters are about. How are we going to reach the lost? How are we going to love our community and create a place where other people can join the kingdom who otherwise would not have been here? What are they doing? They're talking to people that went before them. And so that's really what informs those two things for me is it's just read your Bible. Look at what's happening. Look how God likes to move. Step into that groove. I got to tell you, somebody made up the saying, so much
0: more is caught than taught.
1: Yeah, that's great. And, And
0: the point of it is, People are watching you, and so they're not necessarily listening to your rants or Mm -hmm. uh, you go on and on and on. But I think today, I think it's the essence of what we're trying to do here. We invited you because you're the embodiment of being sent. And we say that just about every show. It's all about understanding you are sent But it's not even so much the education that you gave, the tips you gave from your experience and everything. But I really feel that the people that are listening when they pick this up and catch up to this episode, Mm. they're going to catch the anointing and the passion of who you are and what you're sharing with them here. And my big goal is that, number one, that people understand their scent, but number two, that they understand what you embody
1: and that it gets them going. Yeah, amen. I hope so, too. This is a really cool thing that you're doing. I I love the empowering nature of it. With your average layperson, we just got to be there for each other. Show up. This is great how you do this. It's such a fun medium. Let me pray for us, okay? Thanks, brother.
0: All right. Father, I thank you for Tobias and who he is, way more than what he does. But, man, I'm a big fan of what he does. And I just ask, Lord, that those people that are listening today, that you quicken their spirit, it doesn't have to be youth work, Father. You might be calling street preachers out. I have no idea. But Lord, you are calling, and you have prepared good works for people that you made and created in love. And so Father, Matt and I joined together and just saying, Father, would you just bless this and bless these people who are sent.